Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament studies at St. Vincent Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hello, this is Brother Elliot. Now, let's follow up on our other little exercise in the introduction to Matthew. Now, with uh, a look at the theology of the gospel, we'll look uh, especially at the Sermon on the Mount, but I'd like to go over kind of the the whole uh, structure first and of the gospel, and then we can look in and see about the theology. Well, the overall structure is, is very basic. It follows basically the outline of Mark. Uh, it uses actually 80% of the text of Mark. Now, what Matthew has done is he has added an introductory two chapters in which he discusses the uh, infancy of Jesus with special stories from his own special source. And then at the end, after the empty tomb, he adds a couple stories about the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples. Okay. Now, what he has done in the interior or to the body of his uh, gospel is this. Imagine now that Mark, or at least 80% of Mark, is sitting before Matthew. And what Matthew does is he rearranges very little of it, but he goes along, and all of a sudden, at a certain point, he stops Mark's narrative and inserts a dialogue, not actually not a dialogue, a discourse, of Jesus, where Jesus just speaks. He says, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says the Beatitudes, and then he says the antitheses, you know, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and then he says other things, three whole chapters worth, okay? So we could see how uh, Matthew has done this, and I think what I want to do is to go right to the Sermon on the Mount and start looking at it and talking about it because it then will explain quite a bit of how what Mark is doing theologically and why he's doing it. Uh, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing we see is he goes up to the mountain, he sits down. For a Jew, a teacher sits down to teach and he's going to be teaching on a mountain. It's very interesting. When Luke has his sermon, Luke uh, doesn't have Jesus go up the mountain because in Luke, Jesus prays on the mountain. So it's the sermon on the plain in Luke. Just a kind of a interesting detail. Okay, basically, we start out in Matthew with Nine Beatitudes. Oh, no, no, brother, there's eight, eight Beatitudes. Well, actually, if you look at them, there are eight. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Okay? Blessed are they who are persecuted. But if you look at verse 11, 
There's another beatitude that follows. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you. Okay? So there are nine beatitudes in Matthew. In Luke, there are only four beatitudes in chapter 6 of Luke. Why is that? Well, probably the Q document, this collection of sayings that both Matthew and Luke used to supplement Mark in their own way, independently. We don't think they knew each other. They did it. They did the same thing. They took the Gospel of Mark, and they had all these sayings from what we call the Q document, and they said, well, let's enhance the Gospel of Mark with our own material. Matthew had his own material. Luke had his own material. And this Q document. So here's what Matthew did. He took the four basic uh, beatitudes that we see in Luke. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger, and blessed are you when you were persecuted. Okay, And what he did is he doubled the first one, he doubled the last one, he kept the two in the middle from Q, and he added three more of his own. That makes nine. So um, I want to get to the theology uh, first. And basically, we can see the theology of Luke. Remember, Luke is a very Jewish Christian community, but with some Gentiles who are pushing against the Jewishness, okay? On the other side, he has some uh, kind of reactionary Jewish uh, Christians who want to go after the Pharisees because, you know, they are the ones with the great authority in the ancient uh, t uh, stories of the rabbis and so forth. But remember, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So here's the way Luke brilliantly answers the question of the problem on the right and on the left. He has Jesus say from the tradition, Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now you remember that the law, the Torah, and the prophets, the, in Hebrew, nevi'im, that's the, the first two parts of the Bible. The ketuvim, the writings, would be the third part. So the law and the prophets means the Bible. I have not come to abolish the Bible. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, and heaven and earth can't pass away because that's where God lives in heaven, and this earth is not going to pass away. It's going to be renewed. So never will my words pass away. Not the smallest letter or the smallest even part of a letter will pass away from the law until all things have taken place. So for those Gentiles who want to say, well, the law, forget about that, Jesus says that no part of the law in this community is going to pass away. Every part will be. 
Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments, Jesus says, and teaches others to do so, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you're just going to basically hardly even be in the thing. But, he says, whoever obeys and teaches the commandments will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so much for the Gentiles who want to do away with all this Jewish ethnic uh, ethnicity and law-keeping. However, then Jesus says in the next verse, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here, Jesus is saying to the Jewish Christian part that wants to go and follow the Pharisees, if you don't do better than the Pharisees, you're not even going to get in the kingdom of heaven. You have to follow Jesus' way of righteousness. Okay, now we can begin to see how Matthew has solved the theological problem of how to keep a very Jewish and law-abiding Christian community without going over to the Reformed Jewish religion, but actually being in a new kind of sect of Judaism, namely Jews who accept the Messiahship of Jesus, you see? Okay, now the infancy narratives, let's go back and start at the beginning. The infancy narratives, then, are from Matthew's own tradition, and basically, they set up Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Look at the very beginning. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why son of Abraham? Judaism comes from the patriarch Abraham. Jesus is a member and a representative of the Jewish. Now, why is Jesus called the son of David? Well, of course, we know that the Messiah has to be from the line of David, right? Because Jesus is the true Messiah expected and promised to the King David back in 2 Samuel when God says to David, I will always be with your lineage. So uh, we have the genealogy. Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob, these well-known Old Testament figures, and it goes all the way down to Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph, the husband of Mary, and of her was born Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Okay? So Jesus is of the house of Joseph, which is from the house of Abraham and David, because that's who Jesus is. He's the real Messiah. The total number of generations in verse 17, interestingly, the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14, from David to Babylonian exile is 14, and from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah, 14 generations. Those, the genealogy has six 
times seven. Okay, three fourteens were six times seven. And Jesus begins the seventh seven of generations. Isn't that something? Now, the birth of Jesus takes place in the beautiful story, which is really more about Joseph than anybody else. It's Luke that tells us all the beautiful stories about Mary. Joseph here is the one that receives the messages from the angels. And everything that happens is done to, for example, verse 22, um, uh, the Spirit will uh, come upon Mary and the child will be conceived. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said uh, through the prophet, and he quotes uh, Isaiah 7:14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. See? There you have it right there. Jesus is the one who is fulfilling the Old Testament. And then we have a visit from the Magi. And interestingly, things happened very much to Jesus like things happened to Moses. The holy innocents are slaughtered. Uh, Jesus flees to Egypt and comes out of Egypt because... Uh, uh, so that what had been spoken through the prophets may be fulfilled. This is chapter 2, verse 23. Fulfilled, quote, he shall be a Nazarene. Everything fulfills the Old Testament, even when there isn't any real Old Testament quote. Matthew has kind of made it up. Anyway, we have the introduction of who Jesus is, okay, calling of the disciples and some miracles, and immediately the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is rich with the theology of Jesus' righteousness. Now, righteousness is the key concept that Luke has focused on from the teaching of Jesus, and here's why. Righteousness is a very Jewish thing. It has to do with the law. It has to do with the proper way to respond to who God made the Jewish people, namely the light of the nations. We're supposed to look to them to see how things are to happen. Well, it didn't work out that way, and God sends the Messiah and unfortunately, many, many of the Jews did not accept Jesus as Messiah. But Matthew's group of Jews did accept Jesus as Messiah. And therefore, they are the ones who are righteous. So the Beatitudes then, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew changes and spiritualizes. He doesn't want to just talk about the poor being taken care of by God, but he means the poor in spirit. My spirit is not puffed up, see, but I'm a humble person. And then he adds by uh, another beatitude that talks about my attitude toward my fellow human being, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. The meek are people who are humble toward their fellow creatures. So, all of these uh, beatitudes and then the 
the um, antithesis. You have heard it said that uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed. Jesus goes to the interior of the law and shows that you are supposed to be at the end of the uh, uh, at the end of the ministry. Uh, I'm sorry, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, um, "For uh, be uh, be." Um, perfect as your heavenly father is perfect how can you be perfect this is righteousness only if you allow god to work in you will you be righteousness you will feel the love of god you will become the love of god and you will be able to do then everything that the sermon on the mount says you're supposed to do in righteousness if you allow God to work his righteousness in you. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.